0: A sermon is pre-recorded. Absolute surrender is the name of the message. Absolute surrender. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, quicken by the power of your Spirit. Lord, the world has encroached so powerfully. Would you show us how to evict all of the presence and power of darkness? by your spirit and by your power, by the blood of Jesus. Lord, I thank you. I lift my hands to you and say, Jesus, come and quicken this message. I pray in your holy name. Amen. One of the great heroes of Scripture is Abraham. Abraham was told to leave his family behind his father, his relatives, and he was told to go to a place that God would show him. He didn't even know where he was going to go. He was just told to go. And he went. Then all of the rest of the story is God speaking very frankly to him about what he wanted about what God wanted. And each time Moses took or Abraham took small steps of obedience that led to larger and larger steps of obedience. Did he doubt? Yes. You'll find he laughed when God told him he was going to have a son in his old age. But he continued to maintain his relationship with God. And God brought him through in great victory, out of doubt, into an absolute assurance that God was going to do what he promised him he would do. I suspect there's not one of us in this room who has not doubted at some point in your life about what God had spoken to you. And then finally, he brings us through in victory, and we don't waver. We stand. Most of us have had to go through times of severe discipline and punishment because we would not believe the word of the Lord to us. And through that time of discipline, God's love was not taken from us. I liked, why is God, what was the word? Stalking me. You know, there's a famous poem, The Hound of Heaven. I love this piece of poetry because it describes the Holy Spirit coming after a man who was unsaved. And finally he fell down, and he could feel the licking of the Holy Spirit on his face, and it revived him. He leaped to his feet, and he ran from God again. Until finally the chase ended, and God had him. I've experienced the stalking of God on my life. It's pride that makes a man or a woman get up and run again. It's bitterness of heart. It's unbelief. We don't see how we can survive and do what God calls us to do. Abraham didn't know how he could survive and do what God told him to do. And God had to keep bringing him up and bringing him up until finally he stood like a rock absolutely given to God, no question, no matter what it cost him, he was going to do what God told him to do. But you remember what happened with Hagar. You remember how he stepped out in his own strength and his own flesh and created a son, and he wanted that son to be the son of promise, and God said, no, Sarah will have a child. And they named him Isaac, which means laughter. God wants to bring us to laughter. The laugh of joy and happiness. The Lord wants to bring us to a place where we see the fulfillment of what this call has all been about. Where we see the glory of God after he committed that sin of going to Hagar, God still loved Abram, or Abraham as we know him. But for 13 years, God would not speak to him. I'm sure his heart grew very tired and sad at the absence of God, but finally came back with a very clear command. Walk before me and be blameless. And God reaffirmed the promise of the covenant to him. I believe because of that failure in Abraham's life, he was brought to the test of Genesis 22. The most terrifying words to me in all of the scripture. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. I dread the testings of God. Where God looks at a man and says, okay, are you going to come through or are you not going to come through? Do I have with you absolute surrender? Does your life belong to me or does your life still belong to you? It's amazing when God begins to point out to a man or a woman who is following Jesus Christ. And then he begins to point out the places where you are comforting yourself because of the painfulness of the journey. Are you aware of the places where you go and what you do to comfort yourself outside of Jesus. And the reason you do it is because your heart is hurting. Probably the number one place most of us go to comfort ourselves is food. One person said to me this week, Oh, Pastor, Food is very, very important to me. How important is food to you? Do you comfort yourself with food? Or do you comfort yourself with the entertainment of the world? You comfort yourself with shopping. And if you don't have money, do you comfort yourself to just go sightseeing in the stores and wish I had and what I would do if I had. How do you comfort yourself? Do you comfort yourself with your cell phone? With the internet? With Facebook? I challenge you, find out where you comfort yourself. Like, you know, turn the internet off for a week. Turn your cell phone off for a week, except to answer phone calls that come. It's astonishing to me when, I, when I'm walking in the public. Everybody's like this. I mean, don't they know they're going to get drooping necks? They're going to go blind? Medical science is warning Americans. If you haven't seen it, it came out this week, saying there will be an epidemic of blindness in America because of the constant straining of our eyes with the small cell phone messages. Where do you comfort yourself? God tested Abraham. And what I love so much about this passage is Abraham immediately answered and said, Here I am. God did not find Abraham hiding in the bushes like Adam and Eve. He didn't find them dressing themselves in fig leaves. Abraham knew that his only garment was the garment given to him by God. This man was absolutely sold out to the Lord God of heaven. But now God was going to demonstrate something so powerful He answered, Here I am. And God said to him in verse 2, this is Genesis 22, verse 2. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. I'll tell you about it. Now, why would God, when it is expressly forbidden, why would God order him to offer a human sacrifice? It's very clear God was in the business of birthing a nation. That nation was going to be brought forth out of Abraham. What Abraham did was critical in telling the story that a Messiah was needed, and that Messiah would be a human sacrifice, a high priestly sacrifice, a foretelling of the coming of Jesus Christ. This was not easy. I'm sure he spent a sleepless night. We're told in Hebrews 11 what his mental process was that allowed him to do this. We're told in Hebrews 11 that he began to reason through this because he knew that God had said this was the son of promise. And so he began to reason in his heart that if he offered him as a burnt offering, God would have to resurrect him. Oh, he was smart. He knew God would not break his word. This enabled him to move forward. And it says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, on the third day, Day of resurrection. Oh, the torment of his soul. He had to utterly, in the darkest hour, fix his heart on the word of God. He did not try to escape this dark hour. The Christian faith is not a sunshine gospel. It's a gospel that takes us through the valley of the shadow of death. It's a gospel that sometimes it is utterly impossible in human strength to walk through. And if in that dark hour we become angry and bitter and say God is unfair and begin to accuse God, we join with the serpent because he is the accuser of the brethren. He is the accuser of God. Abraham would not join forces with the serpent. Now please, I don't know if this is an issue for you. No matter what happens, regardless of how painful it is, we do not turn in bitterness against our Lord, We do not leave him. We do not turn away from him. Our confidence must be utterly, absolutely focused on Jesus Christ. So circumstances do not control us as Christians. We are controlled by the truth of the word of God. Now, all of us have hidden agendas in our hearts. That's part of being human. And if we allow those hidden agendas to come forward, anger and bitterness, accusation against a husband or a wife, against a family member, if we allow those accusations to rise up at work, And we begin to strike one another. Galatians tells us, stop it or you will devour one another. You will destroy one another. Abraham would not lower himself. He had been tested too many times by God. He knew the God he served. He knew beyond doubt God would be faithful to his word. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship. To worship means to fall down humbly, to put your face in the ground, to give homage to royalty, This is the first time the word worship is used in the scripture. It was in the time of the most bitter testing of his life that he chose to turn and worship God. Up to this time, he had brought himself to offer the sacrifice. He had, he had done what God called him to do but he had never before fallen on his face and worshiped God. Not with a heart totally given to God. The most precious gift in his life was his son Isaac. Just a side note. When he comes back home after this test, Sarai isn't there. And until the day of her death, Abraham and, Isaac, Abraham and Sarah don't live together. There's quite a distance, in fact. I think this was probably simply too much for her heart to bear. Please, can I say this to you, married men? Sometimes you have to cover your wife with gentleness and love. Because the journey may be too much for them. We have to cover each other. Because sometimes the pain of the journey is simply too much. Now when Sarah died, Abraham was sent a message. The scriptures say he immediately went to her. He took the journey. He took the journey. And the scriptures say he wept over her. God may call you to do something that your family will not understand and will not accept. Don't judge them. Be gentle with them. We do not stand before God in the great day of judgment with someone else standing with us. God does not have grandkids. We stand alone before the judgment bar of God. So as we make this journey, and the tests come in our life, be gentle with those who do not understand the test. And choose not to be defensive or bitter or angry, but cover them with love. See, as these tests come to us, don't be distracted. But keep your focus on the Lord God of heaven. Abraham makes this journey. Isaac speaks up and says, Abraham, father, yes, my son. The fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. I love that statement of absolute faith. He knows that the Lord God of heaven will offer his sacrifice. And I want to tell you, on Calvary, God offered his sacrifice. He offered himself. The father gave his son. He didn't ask Abraham something that he was himself unwilling to do. They reached the place God told them about. Abraham built an altar. He arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. Isaac was big enough, he could have fought. I praise God he didn't. I look at Isaac's life. All of his life is not pleasing before God. Remember the scriptures tell us that he loved the wild game. There was a part of Isaac's heart that wanted to bless what God did not want blessed. But all of that is forgiven because of what he did right now. He was established as a young man Abraham reached out his hand in verse 10. He took the knife to slay his son. I don't think when he lifted that knife, there was a moment of hesitation. It was done in Abraham's heart. He was sold out to do exactly what God told him to do. But an angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, and we know that angel, it's a messenger. It was the pre-incarnate Jesus. You'll see that in just a moment. Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And I just want to lightly touch on this issue. Is there anything in your heart that you are withholding from God today? Is there anything that God has asked you to give him, that you've said, no, I will not give that to you? If that be the case, God's going to have to constantly bring discipline into your life until you finally say, Jesus, I give it to you. It requires an absolute surrender. Abraham looked up. And there in a thicket, he saw a ram. It was caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Today, I want you to fix in your heart and your mind. You don't need to withhold from God because he's not a God who cheats you. He's not a God who is stingy with you. He is not a God who has intent to harm you or hurt you. Those things that he's asking you to give him are the things that will cause you great damage, that will hurt you. He's asking, will you release those things to me? And you say, but oh, they're they're my precious things. God has something even more precious to give you. He wants to give you his son. But some of you in this house still hold on to your bitterness, your self-justification, your excuses. God has a plan for you, and he can't fulfill that plan if you're withholding from him your love and your obedience. He wants to give you the finest of wheat, He wants to give you the best honey. He wants to give you the sweetness of heaven. But if you refuse to humble your heart, and you refuse to make an absolute surrender to Him, instead of these gifts He desires to give you, He has to bring discipline into your life. Painful. God doesn't want to discipline us. It's not in God's heart to create hardship for us as his children. But when we fix in our minds and our hearts, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Pastor, you just don't understand. No, I don't. Because everything I've given to the Lord, he's multiplied back in glory. He's never cheated me. God wants to bless us in every way. That's his heart. He is a God of blessing. He is not a God of cursing. The darkness we dwell in it's because of our own lust, our own anger, our own bitterness. You've heard this many times. Let me say it again very boldly. Jesus loves you. Can you stand that much love? Have you gone through any time in the past week in your self-talk, saying, I just wish I had somebody who loved me. Jesus loves you. And he wants to fill you so full of his presence that you will never again ask the question, does, does anybody love me? Instead, you're going to be asking, who can I love? Who can I pour my heart out to and love? I look at some of your faces and there's such a look of loneliness haunting your face. Jesus wants to come in and he wants to empower you to love somebody. He wants you to come out of yourself and be an offering to others. The question is, who can I serve? Who can I give myself to? Who can I help on this journey? Who can I pour myself out for? Now, people are absolutely astonished. Brother Ed, you and I had a time together at Barnes & Noble on Saturday, and he handed me a Bible that he'd bought at Barnes & Noble, a very attractive Bible. And he said, would you please take this and give it to this young woman that we've been witnessing to who's a pagan over at Starbucks? I said, yes, I'll go there as soon as we leave. And so I began to pray and say, Lord, would you have her on? Would you have her there? And I walked into Starbucks, and the place was just jammed with people. And I waited in line, and she was at the cash register. When I got to her, she said, what can I get for you, Ray? I said, oh, nothing. It's something I can get for you. And I handed her this Bible. Oh, thank you. And I walked away. It was in a package. It wasn't readily, you couldn't readily see that it was a Bible. And I walked over and sat down in one of the chairs and just began to watch to see what she would do. She opened that Bible up. Literally, she called to one of the other staff and said, I have to take a break now. And she literally ran from around that counter, to me, and threw herself at me. Threw her arms around me and just about crushed me. And she said, I can't thank you enough. Thank you for this. Here's a pagan who who worships Moloch, the old god, she says. She said, now tell me, where do I start? And so I said, start in the book of Mark. It's in the New Testament. She said, well, how will I understand what I read? I said, it's simple. It's just a story. You know stories, don't you? Yeah. Well, just start reading, and I'll be in next week, and I'll explain anything you don't understand. She went back behind the cash register. Her total countenance was transformed before she was grumpy, She was downcast. Suddenly her face was up and beaming, and she began to talk to customers. She could not believe that she had just received a Bible. It made her day. Can I tell you something? It's going to make her life. She's going to become a follower of Jesus. And thank you, Ed, for that kindness to her. I had not thought of getting her a Bible. That was the Holy Spirit. Since I've known her and witnessed to her, nothing has touched her like that small gift of a Bible. And by the way, it was a purple Bible. It was very attractive. It was a young woman's Bible. I pray God uses this. And I know he will. Pour yourself out in prayer and small acts of love and compassion for other people. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit will come in power and touch their lives I don't think I could have gotten a better hug from anybody. Guess what? That hug made my day. You can't pour out love and not get love back. People want to know how much do you care before yeah. they want to hear about your Jesus. It means an absolute surrender to Jesus and a giving over of our hearts so that he can come in and heal the broken places in our lives. When he comes in and heals those broken places, we pour out to others what he's giving to us and everything changes. And suddenly, Mm -hmm. We can begin to walk around as I do when I go into that Starbucks and I go there not for the coffee. I go there for the staff. I'm not even drinking coffee now. I haven't had coffee for better than a week. I don't go there for the coffee. I go there for the staff because God's made up my mission field. Now listen to these words. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time, verse 16, and said, I swear by myself. That's the first clue that this is Jesus, the pre incarnate Christ. Declares the Lord, no angel will call himself Lord, declares the Lord that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities, the cities of their enemies. This is the covenant promise of Abraham the final payment, if I may use that word, the final step through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me without obedience to the Lord God of heaven. There cannot be a continued blessing in your life. Am I saved by what I do? No, but I can be lost by what I do. In other words, salvation comes into my heart and into my life as a free gift. But I'm required to surrender my life to Jesus and walk out what he commands me to walk out. And it is not hard. I talk to people who are struggling with sin. I know immediately why they're struggling with sin, because they're trying to hold on to their life. And so it robs them of the power to walk righteous before God. Oh, pastor, I've tried so many times. I just can't quit this alcohol. You're right, you can't. Pastor, I've tried so hard, but lust just rises up in my heart, and I go back to the pornography. Yeah, you're right. You do that because you have not made the final commitment to surrender to Jesus Christ. Any man who is fully given to Jesus, any woman fully given to Jesus is given the power that no temptation will come to them, but that they can be an overcoming by overcomer by the blood of Jesus. We are called to absolute surrender to the giving over of our own agenda, our own life. How could it be any different in heaven? You think we're going to walk into heaven and curse our friend? think we're going to walk into heaven with a bitterness in our heart? You think we're going to walk into heaven and begin to connive and cheat others in that heavenly realm? that's what Satan did. God's not going to let that happen again. By the power of the blood, we have the victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. If you don't have that victory today, it's because you have not yet made that final, full, and absolute surrender to Jesus Christ giving up your own life, your own agenda, you are given to him in love because God is love. Judgment is the strange act of God. Judgment is not what he wants to do. The truth is, God just wants to enter into an an intimate love relationship with us where we are utterly given to him. I want to read for you just a couple of passages of Scripture out of the New Testament. I'm going to begin with 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, verse 24. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Verse 24. Do you not know that the ones running in the arena all run, but one receives the prize? So you must strive that you may win. And everyone competing in a contest exercises self-control in all things, those men do it so that they may receive a perishable crown but we are but we an incorruptible crown i therefore so run as not without a definite goal so i fight not as beating the air but i strictly control my body and make it ready to serve lest in any way, having preached to others, I myself may be disqualified. There's another passage I want to read for you. It's in Philippians, the third chapter. I'm going to begin reading with verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, I've considered a loss for the sake of Christ. But even more do so, I consider all things to be lost because of the surpassing worth of the knowledge of Christ Jesus as my Lord, for the sake of whom I suffer the loss of all things. And I consider them to be rubbish that I may gain Christ and and may be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, the one out from the law, but the righteousness by means of faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith, to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if somehow I may attain unto the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained, or have already been perfected. Now let's stop there just a minute. He is not saying he's a sinner. This same word in the Greek, Jesus used in Luke 13, 32, referring that he had not yet been perfected because he had not yet gone to the cross. In other words, It wasn't finished yet. He was not yet fully mature. So don't mistake this for saying he was saying, I'm a sinner. Paul was not walking in sin. Continuing, but I pursue it that I may lay hold upon that for which I was laid hold on by Christ Jesus. Let's stop there a minute. You would not be in this house today if Jesus had not grabbed you. I'm here because Jesus grabbed me. He laid hands upon me. And Paul is saying, now lay hands on God. I like that. Lay hands on God. I pursue if also I may lay hold upon that for which I was laid hold on by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not count myself as having laid hold, but the one thing I do, forgetting the things behind, but reaching out toward the things that lie ahead with reference to the goal, I pursue toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. My brothers and sisters, I do not have time, I do not have energy to lay hold of anything but Jesus Christ and then to do exactly what he tells me to do. Anything else will be a side current that comes across my life and it will take me off in a direction I don't want to go. I want to go the direction Jesus has called me to go. And heaven is my home. I'm just a stranger here. I'm an alien and a stranger in this land. My home is heaven. Several times people have said to me, Pastor, where are you from? And I've answered, hell. What? Where are you going? Jerusalem. The holy city. I'm on my way to heaven from the den of the serpent. I love America. All my heart, I want America to turn back to righteousness. I want America to turn away from the wickedness of our culture but I'm only going to do what I can do as Jesus directs me as I'm on the path toward heaven. Heaven is my home. I know where I came from. I was birthed out of darkness. And I know where I'm going. And it takes absolute surrender to be able to make that journey. Today we're going to celebrate the communion of the Lord. I pray that if in your heart you've either made that total surrender or you desire to make that surrender and you want to be one with Jesus Christ, then I urge you to come and partake. The bread is a symbol of the food for the journey. The blood is for the washing away and the cleansing of all sin. So I invite you today to come to the table of the Lord. If you know today that you have withheld from God in any area, if you know you have not quickly moved in obedience to what He has called you to and now you're in trouble, It's all right. Get back on track. Head toward heaven. Because that's home. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at nationalprayerchapel.com.
1: Now unto heaven. So... to present you blessed.